One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. We live and we live and we live and we live. This is Beat People Podcast 75. You know, I feel like uh, do the right thing because it's a heat wave. You know, like today, the color is black, blacker than black because it's hot or something to that nature. But yo, we're on Beat People Podcast 75. I got me and my man, Ken Flux Pierce here. And we're going to chat about, you know, uh, what we say we're going to talk about, Ken? We're going to talk about... Um hardware yeah, some of the well, challenges studio of hardware been, some of the challenges all of challenges of hardware stuff and that sort of thing so without yeah. further ado let's just get started here you go whoa that was quick what happened there <laughs> yo i think it cut it <laughs> off man it cut the intro it cut That's it off right, though yeah it cut the intro I don't know what happened there, but that's cool. That's cool. So we'll get right into it, though. Um, You're frozen to... now. This is weird. Who's frozen? Oh, man. You, you ain't moving. I'm moving. I'm moving. Yo, Matter of fact, what's up? I'm really frozen. So we got Inky in the place. What's up, Inky? And we got Why Not. Yeah, you frozen there, man. You ain't moving. I'm eating chicken wings. What are you talking <laughs> oh, about? There you go. Chicken wing guy. He's back now. Mm. Tell me this. Are you eating chicken wings right now or am I seeing into the past? No, I'm eating chicken wings right now. (laughs) (laughs) There ain't no games happening here, man. Chicken wings on deck all day. Yo, I feel like I got something going on, man, because you sound crazy. Yeah, and and you're 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 freezing up too, man. I think it's oh see, we dropped Corey. He couldn't handle the wings. That's what it was. See, Corey is very sensitive when it comes to the hot sauce. So he just he couldn't handle what I was what I'm dealing with over here. So while we wait for him to get back into the stream, that's fine. Um Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we're gonna be talking about today is we're gonna talk about um basically the challenges of using a hardware setup, like a primarily hardware setup versus using you know staying in the box staying with with something like machine ableton uh studio one all that sort of thing right and essentially what i want to cover is what are some of the myths what are some of the facts and you know what are the what what's the actual use case for this sort of thing so hopefully I can keep stalling long enough for Corey to get back in the stream because you don't want to just watch me smash these chicken wings the whole time while I'm waiting, right? Um, I will talk about my hot sauces. Uh, today I'm doing two different hot sauces. I'm doing, um, I got the Buffalo Wild Wings Wild, right? Which is, you know, I like the flavor of it. The It's kind of inconsistent, but I like the flavor. And then I've got the uh, Mango Habanero from um pepper palace up in philly so yeah that's good stuff uh hold on Corey is messaging now let's see what he's he's restarting his browser this is what happens man we need a we need a full-time it guy to handle this stuff right uh anyway 
some of the other things that, that uh, we've been dealing with lately is, uh, obviously, I've been working on the S2400. I got a new prototype in there. You can see in the... It, I don't know if you can see it too well. Let me see if I can angle my arm right. There's a prototype back there, and then there's another prototype here. Um, so that thing's been coming along quite well. Um, keyboard with the scrolling light show right here. Yeah, that it's a little bit hectic, isn't it? It should probably calm down just a bit. That is the uh, Roland JDXA, uh, the hyperactive child of the uh, of the studio. And yeah, I could turn that off, but it's. I actually leave light shows on on the majority of my gear, not because I like the flashing lights, but more because it reminds me if I accidentally forget to turn something off. Uh, I'm like, oh, okay, that thing's flashing away. I know I need to shut that down. Now, I will show you guys uh, one thing that I have going on here in the studio. So this past um, past couple weeks has been me completely rewiring the entire studio. And um, with that, I've man, it's just gotten to be so much better in here. Uh, some of the things that I've done is I've moved from a I, I was using the Focusrite Claret 8 Pre-X as my primary audio interface which I love that thing it sounded great but I was having some ADAT issues with it and honestly I needed more flexibility I actually really liked the um I like the clarity of the preamps and I like the fact that it had the air mode for the preamps so you could really get two different preamps out of it uh which was cool um but I needed more flexibility, so I had been debating on doing a something like a Behringer X32, the Midas. Um, I was looking at the uh, Prasonis stuff, uh, essentially moving to a large format digital mixer because I just wanted that many inputs and the flexibility of using that because I like to often, I'll send, let's say I want to send the, the Matrix Brute over to the S2400. And then two minutes later, I might want to send the S2400 to the modular, send the modular to my MPC2000XL, send my MPC2000XL to the Eventide. And um, it, it, it would end up being like you would always see my studio would just have wires everywhere. And it was really, really annoying. So I wanted to do a digital mixer because, you know, that, that stuff has gotten good enough to where now, as long as you're not overdriving it, that stuff sounds fantastic. Um, but I tend to work in 96K, so that completely nixes a lot of those. X32 is out of the picture, you know, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff is just out of the picture if you try to work at 96K. So I had been looking around for a while and I became aware of a few different options and one of which was, uh, Motu and which is what I ended up going with, uh, the Motu AVB setup will allow me to connect multiple interfaces over AVB and not really lose much as far as um, signal quality. So I can do 32 channels at 96K and I can do 48 channels. Um, and this is all at once mixing. Uh, 48 channels all at once at 96 or at 32 and 32 channels all at once at 96K. Um in addition to that, uh, if I'm if I'm working at 44, then I can have 12 sends, which is really useful, you know, because then I'm I can send stuff everywhere. But 
when I'm working at 96, I got really upset because they it they didn't really put it out there that you lose channels at 96k. Um, so I was I was kind of upset when I got it, and I realized that at 96k it dropped me down to 32, and that it dropped me down to three stereo groups uh, plus the auxes instead of the full 12. I looked all over. I didn't see that. I finally found that information in an FAQ on their site. Like, it was kind of buried. So, I was a little bit irritated by that. But, the flexibility of the routing software is so detailed and so powerful that it doesn't really matter. Because I can actually just quickly rearrange things and I can set presets up in the matrix. And I'll, I'll show this real quick. Um to show you what, what I've been doing here. So let me pull up my, my routing and I'll share the screen. Um, so if you see this right here, so this is my routing matrix of um, all, all of my inputs and outputs uh, at the moment. Now I have it set up for a preset right now, which is just for this live stream stuff. Um, and you, if you go over here, you can set uh, routing setups and podcasting and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I have a setup specifically for Ableton Live. Um, and I'm still kind of arranging all this stuff. But as you can see, it's it's a matrix grid. And you can tell anything to go anywhere. I can completely rearrange something. If I want, say, my analog input 1, 2 to actually be my analog input 7, 8, I can do that. Where that comes into play is things like for instance, Ableton Live um, is going to give me a dedicated amount of inputs or let's say I'm streaming to something and it it wants all my outputs to only be on uh, output 1-2 because certain things just don't work well with that, such as StreamYard and Google Hangouts and that sort of thing. This will allow me to do that. So you'll see group 1-2. You can see that it's blue right now because it's hearing my voice. And then I have that set up right here that's analog 78 so it'll come out of 78 but it'll also go to computer in 12 right here so that's how you can tell it okay where do i actually want to send this stuff so it's a really powerful matrix to just send things wherever i want them and then once you come over here to the mixing area you go into the mixer and all of this stuff is available in here and you can see my groups down here. And you can choose how many groups you want to have visible at any given time. Right now I have, uh, for instance, group 1-2 is going to the podcast here. But I can say in group 3-4, for instance, is going over to my S2400. Group 5-6 goes to my Akai Force. So I can set these up. And then I can change all of that with different... Um, let me add Corey to the stream. Hey, Corey, I'm explaining my, my setup here for a second. Okay. Um, so I can I can basically set these presets up however I want and send any signal from anything in here to anywhere without having to unplug any cables. I am using two patch bays, but for the most part, I don't actually use the patch bays. They're just there for convenience sake. Um, more often than not, this routing mixer is my patch bay and I can just, you know, pull up a different preset or punch something up from here. But I also send it out to the patch bay for left side, right side, so that if I want to quickly change something around uh, without thinking about it, I can do that. Now, in addition to all of that, you might be saying, yeah, but your, um, 
you're going to have the issue of not having physical control of these things, right? Well, and and you're going to have to have your computer running when you do this stuff. And oftentimes, you know, I like to work without the computer. That's not the case. It actually will work completely standalone. I don't have to change anything. Um, whether my computer's on or not, the mixing and routing and all this is hosted by itself. So these interfaces are connected over um, Cat6 cable, and they also go to an internet switch. Um, Corey, I think we're getting an echo from you. Echo um, from me? Yeah, if you want to maybe turn down a little bit. Hold on, let me mute you and see if we still have, have the echo. I think it'll go away if I mute you. Yeah. So, um, uh, no, I don't, I, I think it's my, it's my voice, but I think it's coming from his speakers. So I don't have my speakers on. Okay. Oh, you know what? Hold on. I got to fix it. I All see. right. So he's going to fix that. So anyway, what I was saying though, is that the, um, so the, the audio interface hosts itself, uh, in a browser one, and you two, can connect one, to that from your phone, your iPad, you know, your computer, whatever. And I can reroute things from anywhere in the studio directly off of my iPad. Um, and I'm good to go like that. And that's, again, that's independent of the computer. So that's really dope. And again, the final connection is over Thunderbolt. So it's like 1.6 milliseconds latency or something like that. So it's, it's really, really crazy low latency, really high quality converters. Um, the uh, so the main Motu that I'm using is the 828 ES, which is which has the new um, Sabre ES converters in it, um, which are fantastic. If you go, I feel like that word you just said, you're just trying to sound fancy. Yeah, well, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being bougie a little bit. Um, and so it's the 828 ES is my front end, and that also it has like really nice front end controls. Uh, so uh, I use that, and then the 16A is what I patch into it. Uh, the 16A, you can um, you can do, what is it, like, uh, I think it's like 64 streams of AVB or something crazy, like, total of like 512 channels, um, which, you know, I'm not going to need that many channels, but, uh, so I use the 828 as the primary, which will give me four streams, it's either four or eight streams of AVB. I'm only using two right now. Um, so each stream of AVB is eight channels, eight independent channels. Um, so I've done that. And so it's the 828ES, the Motu 16A, the AudioFuse 8 Pre is connected uh, SMUX to the 828. Uh, so that's another additional um, eight channels of really nice quality mic preamps. And then, in addition to all that, I also have the uh, iConnectivity uh, Mio XL, which is handling... It's it's similar to the Motu in that you can use RTP, um, Cat6 cable, but it's all MIDI. So, I can connect anything to anywhere via, you know, MIDI-wise with the Mio XL. So, that thing... So, basically, my audio can go anywhere, back and forth, in any direction... Um, and so can my MIDI, which is amazing. So I can connect up my MIDI and have my force be the primary at one point, you know, sequence and everything, and then just change a preset and my doll is sequence and everything and then change another preset and 
the S2400 is going to handle that. So, like, you can just bounce things any which way you want. Price point was crazy good. Uh, let me let me stop my screen share. So the price point was also super important. Um, obviously, because I'm not rich and I'm trying to do this stuff, you know, cost effectively. Um, and what's crazy about it is, I want to say uh, my total for the for the two Motus, it runs about maybe. Is it twenty five hundred bucks, something like that? So, like the eight two eight, I want to say is that roughly like rich stuff to me. Well, when you're doing this many channels at once, like you know, if you look, <laughs> yeah, you, you are look running at, like a million channels. Yeah, so so that's what I'm saying. Like we're, we're talking in context here. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not it's not a focus right Scarlet or something. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Which is you know a great bang for the bucket. I'm not knocking that stuff, but that sh- stuff is not doing. 32 channels at once and all that good stuff. Um, so I, I want to say it's like maybe roughly three grand for, um, you know, all the audio input stuff that I'm doing um, and uh, and all that flexibility. And then uh, the eye connectivity is, I think, 400 bucks. Um, so, and the thing about that is, is if I had gone the digital mixer route, right, I would have had all these inputs. I would have been stuck back at 48k and to get the inputs i would have still had to buy additional like stage boxes and input boxes to put into it and those things would have cost a bare minimum about three grand anyway right Mm -hmm. so and on top of that you know then you're paying another like thousand dollars or whatever it is for the stage box to input into that so this is all those inputs without having to buy extra stuff still coming in at a price point that's lower than that one single solution that wouldn't have even has been high as high quality. And then you so, got this little control over it all. Yeah, and complete control over everything. And I gotta say, it's been working really well. Like I, I went with the A two eight first and I wanted to just kind of see how it would go because I got rid of all of my analog mixers in here. Aside from what's in my modular, I got rid of all of my analog mixers. And that was scary as hell. Um but I did the A two eight, and I kept the analog mixer there, and um, kind of like played with the routing and all that. And I was like, "Oh, this is actually working." And then I made the leap to get the sixteen A to go along with it. Um, the sixteen A is like uh, fifteen hundred bucks by itself, and I think the A two eight is like um, I want to say close to a grand. Um, so yeah, it just it just works, man. Um, and I've been really, really impressed. And I'm using the AudioFuse 8 Pre for a bunch of the um, mic pre's. Like I've got, uh, cool. like my Rhodes in the back is actually mic'd up. And I haven't had that since I moved um, in, into the new studio. Uh, so having that back and set up and mic'd up with the amps and everything is just delicious. I, I absolutely love that stuff. Yeah, so, it's a good setup you got, man. And I I managed to clear out like over two hundred wires, um, like that were just strewn about my floor and all that kind of stuff. It, it was just a hot mess back there. So, just I cleaned up so much wiring, and you know I just did a couple of sixteen channel snakes and stuff, and and yeah, it's dope. So, all right, Corey, yeah, you're fixed. I'm fixed. <laughs> Yo, I got a habit of just leaving everything open and my computer was like, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm back. But I, I like what you're talking about though. Similarly, I got the Audio Fuse 8 Pre, uh, but I have the Apollo 8. 
is it eight or eight P? No, it's a, so the Apollo eight is my main interface. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I have whatever I have going in there, stuff that's on my desk going in there. But then I got all these uh, that are, you know, I'd have to find some way. I had a little sub mixer back there. And so what I decided to do is to get the Audio Fuse 8 Pre. And I have that and I ran a snake. So all of my sense and everything on this side of the room is going into like a, uh, a snake that runs into the Audio Fuse 8 Pre. Then the 8 Pre is going into the Apollo 8 with the uh, ADAT cable. Um, and then now, so I have all digital control over. And I used to have problems being able to route certain things and having to unplug and plug and do all this kind of stuff. Now everything's just in. Um, everything's coming into the force of the MPC uh, through Q channels or Q mixes. So I can just mute things, unmute things. I don't have to plug and plug and plug. Everything's just plugged up and I can sample or capture uh, loops or capture audio channels and stuff. And that makes it a hell of a lot easier um, than almost any setup I've ever had, I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, having that flexibility. And the other thing is, removing the the analog mixing component of like just sub mixing things down because i had multiple mixers mm-hmm. that were doing sub mixes into another mixer which was then going into an interface i've dropped my noise floor to an insane level um i can now depending on whatever i'm doing like my noise floor is just non-existent it's it's such a relief to be That's able cool. to like you know deal with that and also i was i was starting to have issues with the analog mixer where like left and right channel wouldn't be even and like Mm -hmm. all these little things that come up with an analog mixer um so that stuff has been really really useful and uh like sweeter than anything says here almost never tracking more than two to four channels at once so i started using the patch bay to skip the mixer uh when it's time to track and i don't disagree with that for the most part i'm the same way for the most part But where it comes in handy is when you want to do something like sound design or like you're trying to make a sample pack or whatever you're doing in that regard, again, it gets back to like you're running cables back and forth and back and forth and this and that. And now you you don't have to think about it anymore. You're just like, oh, okay, I want to route, um, I want to route the Emacs, you know, which I'm not using all that often. Like, I'm just using it for sound design. I want to route that through my Eventide H9 and then route that to S2400, sample that, and then I want to send that back to my doll. Um, I can do that at a click click of a button now, whereas before I was running wires just all over my studio. And even with a patch bay, it would have been a hassle, you know? That that is always a thing. And in, in like in the past, I would always have to dig in the crate of wires and be like, okay, I need this wire so I can run it from this side of the room to that side of the room, play the little part and capture it. And that's just a hassle. It's too crazy. And you actually care about how your studio looks. So yeah. for you, I'm sure it drove you nuts. It <laughs> Me, I was just living in it. <laughs> But that, yeah. you actually, you and Joe played a major part in how I redid my studio. When I built the studio from scratch, the, it was a major part of it was, okay, I'm going to be much more cognizant of my wiring so that mm. it doesn't become a massive mess like it was before, and I'm not going to paint everything green. Um, <laughs> Good choice on that last one. And, and I, I, did, I did my floors <laughs> and my walls. I said, what would Corey do? And I did it. I did it how Corey does it because Corey is much. He, he 
his aesthetics are just much better than my my Joe Dirt. Got quite a bit of wire taming to do though. Like if you look at that keyboard, stand oh, you've right gotten now. messy. Like we've kind yeah, of started to flip definitely. flip roles, yeah, we man. Flip flip flop big time. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I'm I'm like I'm I've pulled you into the dark side deeply. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. And you so know listen, you, about your, you 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 were talking about your noise floor. Mm-hmm. That is so important from a sound sound designer's perspective. I almost thinking like from a okay, probably from just making music in general, dealing with sound in general. But I think from a sound designer's perspective is more important because from a beat maker's or producer's perspective, you might I, I'm a little less. I'm like, yeah, all right, that's good, let's go. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And it, it adds some flavor or something. I don't know. I'm I'm a little loose about thinking about that. When it comes to sound design, though, you kind of want your stuff to be, you know, low noise floor and pristine. So that's real dope. The the setup that you you did for and I mean you you really put that thing together in the last month or two big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's been like days and days of just like hiding behind my desk and just doing wiring and that sort of thing. Um and just to clarify, mm-hmm. BS filter, which I have a feeling I know who that is, but um is saying no green. No, there is green in here. Don't get it twisted. So my my rug has green accents all through it. Um, my case obviously has the green in it. The the acoustics in here is the last thing to be done and is not finished. So we're in the process now of designing and building the bass traps and all the wall treatment and everything. Um, and I'm gonna have green accents on that. So, but I'm gonna keep it minimal. Uh, I don't want it to be like overzealous like it was before. I want it to be a little bit more tasteful. I've also decided like the the kind of uh, furniture that I want to do and that sort of like I'm trying to make the entire space like finished, not like a hodgepodge of this and that all the time, because I'm finding that like if I keep it professional in here and I keep things the way that it should be, then I'm much more productive and I'm I'm gonna take myself more seriously. I'm gonna get things done and that sort of thing. So it's like. If if you're gonna spend the money to build a room from scratch, do it right. Like get it all done. You know what I mean? And, and that's kind of where it's been. And it doesn't the mean you have to do it all is, at once, but you have to stay focused on it. So like you know, this, I feel like this, you're, missing, you're missing two things in your studio right now. Uh, like this. No, I have, I have the pole. A, a beer, I, have, I have a, a pole. beer fridge. You have a pole. Okay, that's good. So you got a pole, but you need a, a beer fridge. No, and, uh, and, uh, I don't drink uh, beer. Remember. I don't drink beer. I, I stopped drinking oh, beer right. because I developed so a, a hop allergy. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I stopped doing that. But I do have – I got whiskey in here, so I'm good. So well, there you it's go. A-okay. You're good. Um, but the acoustics is 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 the last really uh, piece of the puzzle. But to roll all the, the routing stuff back into what we were originally talking about is – Using hardware as your primary music making devices. Um, and, you know, what are some of the challenges that we face if we want to use hardware and why do we even bother? Mm-hmm. So for me, I think it, um, I used to hear people say, yo, I work with computers all day. I don't want to come home and do stuff that I like on computers. And I used to be like, that's such BS. Like, that don't matter. But then as I've gone on, I've realized that I've moved further and further away from 
making music on a computer. And I don't know that that's the reason so much as it is. I just like a tactile feel. And I like, you know, mixing and matching different sort of textures and stuff. And really, the tactile feel is bigger than anything. I found that I was less creative when I was creating in the box. Um, so I figured experimenting with hardware actually kind of helped me to uh, uh, find a, a certain creative groove that that's good for me. So from there, though, the challenges become like all the stuff that you would talk about, like the routing there and uh capturing everything and not creating so you could then have to figure out how do i make this simple enough where i'm not dealing with some sort of hardware problem or wiring issue or routing issue when i should be creating and so that's where for me the apollo comes in and that's where uh the audio eight uh uh the audio pre eight is that what it is audio fuse eight pre excuse me that's where that comes in to kind of tie in both sides of the room so that I can have all that stuff going in. So I could literally sample or capture audio from anything in here, whether it's my modular right here, whether it's, you know, from the grandmother on all the way to anything that you see behind me, I can capture right now into, um, you know, my force. And that's the other thing about it, creating from and. It's weird to, for me to, to say dollars because I never think of it that way, but I guess I don't use a doll. But effectively, um, the force, the Kai force has become my doll. <clears throat> I literally use that like a doll. Um, some of y'all might know lately I've been messing a lot with my MPC 2000 XL um, and kind of finding my, my way back around that thing because it's like, you know, it's where I kind of it was it was the, the bike I learned how to ride a bike on. Right. <laughs> so when I grabbed this joint and restored it, I've been creating a lot with it. I got it triggering and uh, doing stuff with the modular. I got MIDI stuff tied into it. And so I'm just doing all kinds of stuff with it, sampling, resampling. But then I realized, like, yo, it's not like that thing has a ton of, of uh, sample memory. So and I can't track the way I would on the force. So then I started at that point. Back in the day, I would open up Logic and start tracking stuff. But now at this point, it's actually easier for me to just go ahead and, and uh, make the Akai Force the master. And when I hit play on the Akai Force, everything it starts the, the MPC 2000 and anything that's programmed through there is playing. So then I can start to track that because out of my Apollo, I have like uh, seven and eight out uh, actually uh, capturing Q mixes. So I have all my Q mixes from anything else that's going into the Apollo uh, coming out of seven and eight. Seven and eight out are actually going into the force. So literally anything that I have on the MPC, anything on the Eurorack, anything on these sense behind me, I can sample on seven and eight. I just have to kind of mute something and then allow it to come in because you only got two tracks there. So yeah, in effect, the force has become my doll. Um, and that's been actually pretty pleasing to me, as a matter of fact. Uh found that I'm doing more sound design on the MPC 2000 XL because it, it just has a sound, which I didn't think so earlier in the 2000s. But it's indicative to that era. And this just kind of works well, for some reason. Well, talk a little bit about... Um, so the funny thing is is like i've moved to the exact same setup so it's mm -hmm. um the force is my doll um yeah but why 
Like, why in the world would you use the Force as a doll when there's something like Ableton Live, which is extremely similar to the Force and arguably much more powerful? Um, so why do we bother? Why why in the world are we on the Force when we both have... Quick. I think you have a push, too, also, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, we both have the push, too. So why are we bothering with the Force? I think for me, I think the force just kind of works out where it's a quick workflow for me. You know what I mean? Like it, it feels like everything is just uh, some somebody says they never heard of the force. The Akai force. We'll pull it up on the screen or, or let you see it or something. Uh, I'll, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll it, pull it up. OK, cool. So for me, yeah, it's quick because coming from an NPC background, I'm not used to the clip launching sort of paradigm. And once I got used to doing that on the force, it just became really quick. Like it's the equivalent of like a live looping thing of sorts. You know what I mean? Where you could just capture a track and then go to the next thing, capture a track and go to the next thing. And with this whole stream of thought, like with all these fence and stuff, sometimes you have so much stuff going on. It's easy to just um, mute something, capture the, the, the main line, unmute everything, kind of do some things. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll be programming stuff with CV on the force or with MIDI on the force on the NPC, and it's all kind of orchestrated and coming together. And I'll just live with it and then go back and tweak things. So then I can go back and and set the force for 16 bar audio clips. And then I could just capture 16 bars audio clips. Now, would I be able to do that on an NPC? Mm-mm. Not on an older NPC. <laughs> you know what I mean? In a DAW, sure. But I think the DAW gives you the whole linear sort of, you kind of have to have to have your thoughts already sort of planned out or you got to putz around in there. With the force, you're just capturing into a clip and it's like separate loops that are all kind of synced up. And I think that makes it quick for me. And when I was using a dog, I had to force myself along these linear lines where now I want to bring that in, drop that out, pick that up, move that around. And I would have to just kind of plan out a song all the way, record it, and then go in and edit and a bunch of stuff. So I think this is kind of the easier workflow for me when it comes to the force as, as my DAW. So, yeah, for me, um, it's it's weird because um, I want to love Ableton because Ableton is amazing. Um, it really is. It does so many amazing things. But for whatever reason, and I, I kind of chalk it up to the same as like, when you talk to somebody who's a PC guy and they like working audio on PC versus talking to somebody who's a Mac guy, it doesn't mean one is better than the other is kind of, you know, as far as dolls and all that kind of thing. But for me, just Ableton and I just don't gel because there's certain workflow aspects that I'm like, man, like I really want it to do this. And because it's a computer um, and technically there's like, unlimited possibility because of that it gets my mind working in a certain way where i'm like man like what's what's with these these issues right what's with these these small little hang-ups that that are fairly insignificant but mentally they will hang me up whereas on the force what i found is it's a weird hybrid between the mpc and that ableton style workflow and it kind of bridged that gap 
So it, it made it to where, you know, I, I came, I came up on the 2000 XL. That was like my baby for, you know, a decade. And when you get on the force, I also, you know, the Machina was my other baby, you know, like I, I was working very closely with the team on that for a decade. And I know that thing like, the, you know, like the back of my hand, the, the thing about machine is it has some really fast workflow things that the MPC just doesn't have and that the MPC just is stuck in its old ways on certain aspects and that kind of makes it very segmented and like rigid on certain aspects, right? And machine kind of did away with some of that stuff and made things very fluid and fast. A lot of what Machine does like that, it kind of took from Ableton Live. This force is like a weird hybrid between all of that. And it kind of makes it work in my mindset. So what I tend to do with the force is I use it as a track machine, essentially. I do a little bit of drum programming on it. But more than anything else, it's just capturing cool loops. It's capturing those clips. Um, So I'm able to you know, still use my other drum machines, use my modular especially. Really the way that I have my room set up is the S2400 is the the vintage side. Like that's like the vinyl side. And if I want to sample from vinyl or any piece of music that's already constructed, right, I use that. It's super fun. It's super easy. That's what I use. When I want to use my modular... I'm using the force because I'm creating music in time with the tempo. Like I'm creating it right then and there. Everything is synced up and it works great. So what I'm doing is I can just grab variations of different loops and throw them into the force. And then I can on the fly switch them out, change them around, you know, rock them in all these different ways. And it just works fantastically. Whereas when I'm doing that in software, it I feel a little bit stagnant. Like even though the options are, are more, I kind of like the restrictions because it keeps things in line and keeps things a little bit more, um, you know, like compartmentalized in my brain where, I'm, where I stay, stay more focused. Otherwise, I'll get lost in a hole of Reactor and, you know, Max for Live and, oh, I can add, you know, this this affects chain on everything and this, that, and the third. Whereas when I'm on, on hardware, I tend to stick to just a few pieces of hardware and I can just fly. Like I'm not overly focused on, Oh, I have every single VST there is in the world and I can just do whatever. No, like let me stick to like three pieces of gear and just get stuff done. Is your signal holding up by the way? Yeah. See, he just froze. He just froze. <laughs> um, let me see. Uh, I want to see if the chat sees uh, anything frozen. Corey, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm here. I, I okay. see you, but you, you were frozen for a second. Issues, I was frozen. Just for yeah. a second. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, what the hell is going on? Man, you better, you better. I wonder beat, if this heat wave up the cable in my situation. With the heat. <laughs> you know, um, I was hearing in California that because we've been having these heat waves, like in Death Valley, it was 130 degrees last week or something like that. And so I was hearing in California because of these heat waves that fiber 
is being heated up in the ground and not performing as well. So I don't know. Something crazy going crazy over here. That um but Masada says we're cool we keep going. What's up, Wes? Hey yo, I want to give a shout out to uh Wes Curry because man, that man killed this. I got all these wires. Dude, I don't even like you bringing this thing up. Like, it's literally gotten to that point. I like it so much that every time he brings this thing up, like, I start sweating. Like, physically sweating. Yo, just because I... I, I mean, listen. Listen, this thing is inspiring just in general, but with this wood work on it, it's even better. Look at that. The details are stupid. Man. We'll see if card going in there. I'm going to pull something up right quick. Yep. And you know, it's all connected up so I can uh, do what I need to do. But yeah, shout out, shout out to uh, Wes Curry in the chat. He really hooked this up. This is like major, major dope. So, oh, since I got this camera out, I'm just kind of show y'all what I mean about what I have going on here. So everything on this side of the studio here, all of these, all of that stuff is connected with a snake and it goes back around to this side of the room. Uh, And in that that rack behind there, um, I have the, the orange rack ears. That's the Audio Fuse 8 Pre and right above it is the Apollo. So uh, the eight pre is basically handling all of the stuff that's on this side of the room over here. Uh, then I got some stuff routed through here. Now here's a, a little bit of a setup here, the three tier mold joint. So all of that's going into this little mixer because the reason I did this is because I wanted to use the Eventide. And so uh I have all of those three going into the K-Mix, and then the Eventide is uh, uh, an effect send for all three of those. And I think I also have one other synth going into that, and then that, in turn, goes into the Apollo 8. And so through any of that, I can kind of sample, sequence, and do all that stuff. Right now, this is mainly connected to the MPC, uh, so I'm sequencing to the MPC, uh, with those three and <clears throat> the NPC is uh, slaved to the force. So I can hit play here and all of this stuff will start singing if, if that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and here's another thing too. I want to talk about some interesting little hacks. And since I got my camera in my hand, I'm just going to jump off yeah, into that yeah, for yeah. a bit. See this? I was looking at stuff online and I was like, you know, here's here's an interesting scenario. These three cents right here and that K mix, that's four power chords plus the the Eventide, that's another power chord. And they're all kind of wired together with these white wires as far as audio, and then you know, whatever else might be going on. But you know, you start running out of <laughs> power at the bottom. So I actually bought one of these and it clips onto the desk, right? You can clip it onto the desk and then you're using one power connection. So then that takes care of like four things. Plus I got two USB uh, chargers on there too. So these kinds of little things, I don't know if that's so much of a hack as it is a convenience, but that's, that's the kind of stuff that's helpful for me. Another thing that I did recently here 
Let's walk over here. So another thing that I did recently, if y'all can hear me, is I got these little joints. These little lights. Little pucks. And they have a, a remote right there, right? So I can turn all those joints on and off like that. They didn't come with this little Velcro on the back of them. So I found two and a half inch Velcro stickers that I could put on there because they're, they're magnetic, but the magnets didn't hold when I turn up the base. <laughs> so I got these little Velcro joints and I put that on the back of there and it works perfectly. Like so. And since I'm standing up, one more thing. People typically don't get a chance to see this side of my studio, but this is an Ikea uh, shoe rack. This whole joint. Floor to ceiling. It's called El Varley. An Ikea shoe rack. <clears throat> right? And so I took that and I put the maximum shelves that it hold and some wooden shelves on the bottom. And this is what I hold pretty much. All of my other drum machines and, and stuff. Oh. Yeah, I had considered that rack for a while, man. And I'm still kind of considering it. I can still think about areas where I might want it. The only thing about that is that you got to commit. You got to say, yep, this yeah, is where yeah, it's going to right. be. <laughs> yeah, see, you, you're screwing into the ceiling. That's a commitment. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just, just I wanted to kind of share some of that stuff because there's certain little hacks that, that I do, things that are not necessarily meant to be used in a studio. Yeah. And end up doing these things because it, it just kind of works. It's convenient for what you're doing. So, yeah, I just wanted to share that. Well, on the topic of some of the hacks, um, I guess the first thing I'll say is one of the first things I did when I was rewiring the desk, um, which I'm not going to get up and show it because I've showed it on <laughs> Instagram and all that good stuff. But... If you go behind my desk, one of the things that I did was I got industrial Velcro and I lined underneath of my desk with industrial Velcro. And then I took my Thunderbolt hub, uh, my hard drives, uh, I've got, what else, um, all the like uh, brick style power adapters, all that stuff, I Velcroed them all up in there. So they're all up Velcroed underneath of the desk with all the wires nice and tight. So you, you don't see wires dropping down onto the floor. You don't see any of that stuff. Everything is Velcroed up underneath of the desk. And um, that's going a huge... Like, that's majored because uh, when, you're, when you're in your setup and you want to change something, you want to troubleshoot something or whatever, if, if you're having to wade through 25 power supplies to, to get through whatever it is just to get to your audio cables, that's a problem. And then on top of that, you know, having power supply wires cross audio wires is always bad. Um, so this way I have everything up out of the way. I can, my desk is pulled away from the wall enough that I can actually walk behind it, get to the patch bays, get to everything without any kind of problem. Um, so that's that's well, huge you, because I can now walk behind this big bastard of a behemoth desk. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things when when I when I built the studio, that was one of the things that I, I 
made sure to keep in consideration that I was not going to allow my desk to get pushed up against the wall. I wanted to have like a good three feet or so away from the wall so that I could get back there and I could, you know, do any kind of wiring changes that I need to and all that stuff. And yeah, so that's, that's huge. And I highly recommend, you know, if you can move your, your desk away from the wall, it's a great thing to be able to do. I know not everybody can do that in their setup, but it's great. Another thing that I would say is, now this is kind of, I mean, I'm using these for what they're meant for. It's not necessarily a hack, but I can't recommend it enough, is these little Velcro straps that you can get for wires, for cables. Yes. Get as many of these as you possibly can. Um, Someone in the chat had mentioned earlier asking if we were running into RF issues um, and... uh, and really just any kind of ground loop issues, that sort of thing. Proper cable management, tying up your cables, getting them separated, you know, running them perpendicular instead of parallel all the time. Um, All this stuff adds up, and it will cut down your noise floor drastically. It will prevent you from getting hums, and, you know, it can just make a, a world of difference in your setup. So I've got, you know, a big roll of these things, and this is all that I have left out of like the massive roll that I had, I'm going to order another big ass roll of it too, because I still got stuff that I'm going to want to use. Um, another thing that's not necessarily a hack, it's gluttonous. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's gluttonous as hell. Um, but I had it, so I decided to use it for this case. So the Motu setup that I have, that 828, unfortunately lacks one major feature that I really like on an inter- on an audio interface. It does not have a dim button. And I really like having a dim button to, to bring my volume down. Um, you know, if the wife wants to come in here and scream at me about, you know, something, I can hurry up and hit dim and I'm good and I can still kind of actually be paying attention to that audio instead of her. Um, and she doesn't even realize <laughs> it, right? So... Dim button, it's got a mute, but it doesn't have a dim. Uh, So what I'm using is, and again, this is gluttonous, but I'll show it. It's not being used as an audio interface at all. I'll show this little mess right now. Yeah, I'm eating chicken wings in the studio. Leave me alone. Um, I'm using the audio fuse. Um, The original audio fuse is there just as a monitor controller. Um, unfortunately, the way that I have it set up, it had to go into the front inputs instead of the rear, which kind of irritates me, but I've got my mute, my dim, all that stuff is right there, uh, you know, which is useful. So instead of going out and buying a different monitor controller, the pre's are so clean. Hold on, let me get back to here. The preamps and everything are so clean on the audio fuse that, uh, I decided I would use the audio fuse as a monitor controller for now to see how I like it. Um, I could see me still, um, you know, doing something as far as just a mute. Because one thing that I don't have in here that I would like to change is that I don't have a proper way to disconnect the sub from the mains um, separately and still have the mains bypassing the, uh, the crossover. So that is one thing that, that I've been, you know, 
going back and forth as far as how I want to handle that in my setup. And I also have other pairs of monitors in here that I don't have set up right now, but I'm waiting to do all that stuff until after the acoustic stuff is in here. Um, Talk about that for a second, the, the acoustic setups that you're doing, because, you know, it's one of the things that um, I've always been ready to do, but hesitant to do. One is because I can build the panels myself, but I'm lazy. <laughs> and, you know, you want to get the the, the proper um, insulation that's more rigid so that because I've seen people build panels themselves and they get the regular old insulation from the hardware store. And it's floppy that over time it starts to droop and sag. But if you yeah. get the rigid kind, it stays in place. Um, but then you can actually go out and you'll be thinking like, oh, well, this place sells them for $55 a panel. And you start adding up everything you need, then the shipping and you still like, well, I wasn't planning on spending. I kind of still feel like for the most <laughs> part, building your own is still really the route to go um, because it's not that difficult. Um, and it's, it's not rocket science as much as a lot of these companies want to make you think that it is. Mm -hmm. Um, there's actually like, if you want to get into things like modal arrays and, and, um, you know, modal diffusers, that sort of thing, you can get into some, some stuff that, that is kind of rocket science, but the beautiful thing of the internet is that there's information out there and it's readily accessible. Um, it's, it's a Google click away to, to find, um, algorithms as far as how to do that sort of thing. Um, so as far like, if you're trying to do diffusion and, and modal arrays, uh, that's not, um, that's not the end. Um, give me one second. So Scott, uh, I just want to touch on this real quick. So Scott mm -hmm. says that he's a ham. Uh, so he's a ham radio operator. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I come from that background too. So I know a little bit about that as well. And, um, He's talking about having to drive his eight-foot rods into the earth to help him knock out his RF management. With wow. that being said, when I built the studio, eight I already did this. the earth? Yeah, yeah. Well, you you should for grounding. Um, so I did that. I did that already as well. So when I did the wiring, I did three separate audio circuits of electricity, right? And they all go to ground outside. Um, into a dedicated ground rod. And then on top of that, then I have my lights are on a, on a totally separate circuit. So uh, the lights, my, my main uh, LCD monitor, all that stuff is on a different circuit. So I don't get hum from that stuff, uh, which, is, which is really handy in cutting that kind of stuff down. Um, but yeah, as far as um, doing acoustic treatment, it's, it's just not that difficult. One thing that I will say that I've, I've been really kind of looking into that has concerned me a little bit is um, the materials that are used are not, uh, you know, can, can cause cancer if you're breathing them in, okay? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you're cutting up rock wool and that sort of thing, you really need to take proper care when you're doing this stuff. And, you know, you don't want to get mesothelioma or something like that from, from doing this stuff. And on top of that, <laughs> they're meant to be in walls. This stuff is not meant yeah, to be behind a thin sheet of, um, mm -hmm. you know, a thin sheet of fabric where these particles are way smaller than that fabric is ever going to block. Right. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, if you're going to be putting that stuff in there, be mindful of the materials that you're using. And if you're going to use something like rock wool or uh, Owens Corning 703, something to that effect, um, which that stuff works great 
it better be in an area where you're not going to be bumping into it. If you've got studio musicians who come in and they want to lean on the walls and they're bumping into things, that sort of thing, don't use that stuff. Um, it's really not for that. Uh, again, it's meant to be behind a barrier. Um, which is which to me that kind of starts to that's why you start to get into a situation where it's like yo let me just buy the things already yeah built but that's the thing it, is that right? a lot of these companies are yeah, selling selling stuff. it with that stuff in it yeah. you know what i mean and yeah. and you know it's it's just something that i think a lot of people aren't thinking about and it's one of those things where it's like you know when you first started making music all the old heads kept telling you hey man you should protect your ears you should protect your ears and we were going out to the club we were doing all of our shows and nobody had earplugs in none of that stuff and you didn't want them in and then you got older and you're like damn i really should have had earplugs in it's the same thing you know what i mean it's it's not impacting you immediately but 10 years from now you're gonna be like damn i really wish i i had not done that you know yeah um so with that being said, there are materials that you can get, like Ecos. Um, there's there's other materials out there that are similar, maybe a little bit not quite as good for, for sound absorption, but pretty damn close and certainly well enough for a home studio. Use that material, and it's much safer for the environment. Um, it's, it's also less likely if you've got kids – you know, it's stuff to consider. Um, so that's that's been something that I have been going back and forth on a lot, considering, okay, do I really want to do that? Uh, most of my stuff would be in areas where it's not going to get bumped into, but is is it worth it? Um, and I think what I'm, I'm really going to end up going with is probably the Ecos. Um, and we are going to, because I'm going to be having clouds above my head. I'm going to have right. um, absorption panels in the back. I'm going to have, uh, you know, floor to ceiling base traps in the corners. Uh, that stuff, I know darn well that I'm going to end up bumping into stuff. I'm going to be moving things around, that sort of thing. You and you almost can't avoid it when I designed when you... my HVAC in here to be very quiet. Okay. I, and it's, I'm in a, a technically a basement floor. Um, where it's kind of like half basement, half half ground floor. Um, so I don't need a ton of HVAC in here, even though I do mm -hmm. have a lot of gear that keeps it warm in here. Uh, AC-wise, I don't need a lot. So I only have one vent in here, and I have it um, zoned properly so that it's silent when it's running. Um, with that being said, it's an enclosed space. So if you get particles floating around in here, you know, you're going to be breathing that stuff in. Um so this is all just stuff that I really kind of considered and I, I thought about. And, you know, if you're if you're looking at stuff like that really cheap foam that's on Amazon that's like an inch thick, um, don't buy that stuff. Don't even waste your time. It's not worth it. Like yeah, all that stuff that is going to do at very it. most, at very most, all that stuff is going to do is knock out stuff in like – 16 kilohertz range like <laughs> uh, you know and above like that like when you're thinking about um acoustic insulation you really want to think about like well how long is the waveform you know what i mean like th it's energy that's that's traveling through the air and it's vibrating the air how long are those waveforms how big are they you know one inch one inch studio foam that's not a thick density like that stuff you know a lot of that stuff comes like vacuum packed and it's like real light that stuff isn't doing anything for your for your sound. It's really not. It's not going to help you. It's just it's giving you a false sense of, of security, and you know that's why your snare sounds like shit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 but um, so so yeah, for me, 
it, it's a lot of common sense stuff. It's like, okay, obviously I have a big wall in the back that's going to be reflecting sound. So obviously I want a big absorption back there. Um, obviously you've got, you know, a rectangle room. You want to do base trap absorption. I've got wood floor, um, or it's, it's like a laminate wood, whatever it is. Um, that stuff is going to, you're going to get sound bouncing up and down, you know, so you're going to want that. So clouds in the ceiling. I've got a nice size carpet down here, uh, rug. It's really just common sense stuff. Absorption, absorption, absorption is really the key. And that's kind of where I'm at now. Like you can hear, like you hear the echo in my room right now. I've got a ton of gear in here and there's still reflections, you know, don't think that your gear is going to stop, you know, is going to be your absorption because it's not. Hold on. Uh oh. No, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on. <laughs> I was just uh, looking for something because I'm about to throw this up on the screen, just so we can get a better look. Because I wanted to talk about how I was told to arrange things versus how I actually arrange things mm-hmm. in my studio. All right. So here we go. Uh, here, share screen. Chrome tab this guy and i I just want to say shout to isla instruments who's saying ton of wrong information out there though that's Mm -hmm. absolutely true but you can find like what i was really referencing is um some of the algorithms as far as doing modal arrays and stuff you can find um the mathematical formulas out there and that stuff is is pretty solid but even that stuff honestly more than anything it's like focus more on absorption you know, than, than anything else. Like reflection is, is, you know, reflection is reflection. But in my opinion, if you, if you absorb more, you're going to be better off, you know, like focus on the absorption and then worry about the reflections after that. So when I was talking to some people about my studios, I have up on the screen here and it obviously has gone through many, many iterations and changes and crap through the years. Excuse me. Um, when I first set it up, you can see straight ahead as you're looking at that picture, that's the window. So the the, the two windows, I was told to put curtains over, over those, and that's probably true. Um, I tried it once, and there was something, I think the, the curtain wasn't quite right, or the rod wasn't long enough, and so then I said, I'll get around to it again. That's been a couple of years. I never went back to it. <laughs> so I know that I have to do that to stop reflections on the window. But the other thing is... Uh, I used to have RLX base traps in every corner, and and you might be able to look if you look on the right side of that photo where the green light is on the wall between the karate and the umbrella. There's some little spots there because that was uh, adhesive. There's mm-hmm. some adhesive there where I had RLX uh, uh, foam up back there. Uh, but anyway, the, at the window is where my desk used to face because I was told that that's the best place for my room to have the, the window where my desk would be facing the window and then put the bass traps and all of that stuff. Now, acoustics were actually better at that point, but I just couldn't stand how that shit looked. It looked horrible. I hated it. I really do not like that Aurelix foam. And so I used it when I first moved here and I did use it even before then in apartments that we lived in. But then this, when we bought our house, I figured, you know, I could do something a little more nicer. Right. And I've just never gotten around to it. Once I ripped that stuff down. The, the other thing about that is 
I, I don't care what anybody says. You can get used to the sound of your room and turn out stuff that you want to hear and that translates well. Um, but I also think that, I mean, listen to how my sound is reverberating and bouncing around the room as I'm talking in the mic. There's that. So I want to be able to control that at some point. But I think more than anything, it's just been laziness and being, well, lazy, <laughs> complacent. You know what I mean? Because part of the thing, look at how I have. So I just showed you the shoe rack. So if you look at this picture, it's on the left side. Mm hmm. All the way at the left side, that whole blue thing, that's the shoe rack. So obviously it's screwed into the ceiling. That was a commitment in itself. And then over here, I have these pictures and stuff. If you look on the, the left side of the picture. Um, so there's a couple things I want to do. Do the acoustic treatment. And I also want to paint the room. Um, but I'm not doing any of that because of how much shit I have in here. And I, I always fret about, oh. Now I got to tear the studio down and then that's what I like about color LEDs, man. You don't yeah. got to paint the wall. You just <laughs> hit it with the light, man. Hit it with the light. Like I've mm -hmm. been doing lately. It, it actually yeah. sets a good mood. And yeah, exactly. That mood, lighting, that mood lighting is massive though. Like it really changes your, it changes the entire whole vibe. Thing. It really does. It really does. So, it's yeah, like you ever been to a club when dudes are trying to shoot a video and all the lights are on for the video in the club. Yeah. And it's just like the worst atmosphere. Everybody's like, looking ugly. Here? And you're just like, what? <laughs> like, you sweaty, nasty like, people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is the worst, man. I, I used to hate that. Oh, my God. We, oh, man. Yeah. I don't, I don't even want to get into it because I'm going to start bringing back old memories and having like PTSD of like nasty people on the dance floor. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> Yo, um, shoot. What was I going to say? Uh, so, uh, Benjamin Izzo also brought up cardioid monitors. Um, so monitors with base ports that are facing towards you, um, that, that is, that's, that's a big thing for a small room. Um, you can really prevent you know how much space you require behind them because the rule is always that you, you want to keep your your speakers away from the wall but if they are front firing and the base ports are in the front it's not nearly as big of a deal uh so so i agree with him on that uh that that's a big one right there as well yeah. but uh yeah just in general man um i i would say that uh you know, once once I'm done doing that treatment in there, I'm gonna feel a whole lot better. As far as like the the you can learn your room, you better be really cognizant of how your room sounds though, and and where the problems are and that sort of thing. For instance, um, when I'm working on something now, uh, without the treatment in here, one number one thing you got to do: work at low levels, mm -hmm. very low volumes is huge if your room is not properly treated turn everything way down because the whole point of acoustic treatment is handling the energy like you know sound pressure is energy and what you want to do is you want to mitigate how much of that energy is just kind of reflecting back on you and causing problems well if you lower your volume there's less energy inside that room each you know, space can hold a certain amount of energy. So lower your, your levels. On top of that, I would say if you are, um, let's say you're working on a baseline or something, right? And you're thinking, man, this bass is really hitting, right? 
take three three steps back. You yeah. know, just in the middle of the mix. A whole different mix back there. Back up. Back up. <laughs> True. And ask yourself, did my bass just disappear? Or back up and say, oh my God, did the bass just like hit me 10 times harder? You got problems in your room, right? Or also, did it just change key? Yeah, that it, it can thing. be a massive eye opener um, when you might be comfortable working how you're working. I'm telling you, take three to five steps backwards and you're going to like all of a sudden just be like, whoa, like the mix sounds completely different. That's because your room. That's because of those standing bass waves and reflections and, you know, all that energy is building up in your room and you it's got to go um, somewhere. That reminds me of a... Uh, uh, M. Simp came to town a few years back, and this was my room was the was flipped. The other Shout out one. to MSX Audio, <clears throat> no doubt. And this was the same room, but he came through, and we linked up, and we got some. Uh, uh, when people come to town, I tend to take them to Golden Bridge. I think that's the name of the sandwich place. It's real dope. Uh, well, I like the veggie sandwiches, but anyway, they got good hamburgers or whatever, all that stuff. So we went there, we kicked it for a minute, and then we came back to 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 the lab. And so we were listening to some stuff and he was playing the roles a little bit. And then if you notice where the mod bap uh, shirt is on that chair, the room was flipped around. So he was in the opposite corner, still in the corner nonetheless. And he was sitting there. So he would come up and he would play something. And he would sit there. And then I noticed he was doing this. Yep. That's me all day. Like, no, I'm getting a whole different mix back here. <laughs> it is true. It's true. If if it's not quite, if it's not treated, I mean, you know, but that also, not to say that, you know, knowing your room and knowing how it translates is any substitute for having a treated room. But yeah, you kind of got to know what's happening in there. And you got to know outside of your studio, what's it translate like? What's it sound like when you're coming out of that room? Cause it'll make a big difference. So that's one of my, that's like one of my big next things to get this room more treated in a sense where I can dead some of those waves and, and absorb some of the, some of the stuff that I don't need to be hearing when I'm making music. But you know, for the time being, I'm kind of, you know. And there's ways of hiding some of this stuff too, so that it's not so such an eyesore. Like you've got that massive painting behind you. Is that canvas? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So that that can be the front to a big absorber. Like it's going to mm -hmm. reflect some very high frequencies, which you know probably aren't going to be an issue at all. But behind that, you can be trapping all those mids and lows. You know, by putting like a four inch um, a four inch absorber behind it. You know, and four inches thick. But like in my opinion. When you're working on hip hop music, like we use a lot of bass heavy stuff. Yeah, dude, go go thick. You know, the the thicker the better, in my opinion. The thicker and the denser the better. Mm -hmm. Um now there is um I'd like to see some comments from the chat to see uh what their thoughts are on it. Cause I am honestly still undecided about this. Um so there is two schools of thoughts. And one of them is for bass traps to be uh, triangular and filling the entire corner with the mm -hmm. material. The other thought process is doing a thick absorption panel, catty-cornered to your corner, right? So it makes that triangle. But what you want is space behind it, space behind it, an air trap behind it. So the bass waves go through it, hit that. They're going to hit that corner, and then they're going to come back and hit it again. Um, and there are, um, there's really kind of two schools of thoughts on it. And 
I haven't really seen any definitive proof that one is better than the other. I'm wondering, so when I lay out my my traps in this studio, it's going to be interesting because this corner right here is cinder block behind the walls, and this corner over here, it's wood. Now, I did my walls six inches thick, um, so it's going to be interesting because not only are they six inches thick, but then I have... Um, R, what is it, uh, 95, I think it is, insulation. Like, my insulation is literally this thick, and then it's compressed down. Um, and when you compress it down, that's not great for the um, heat, you know, for for heat and uh, cooling absorption, but it's good for sound. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that stuff is thick. And I got it in my ceiling, too. Getting that stuff in there was a pain in the ass. I bet. <laughs> And, know, oh, and the and the uh, the drywall is also seven eighths thick too. So it's, it's yo, all, you and double wall. really did a good job of soundproofing your room from that perspective, deadening the sound to the rest of the house. There's only one thing that I wish I could have done that it just became a time thing where um, if I didn't do it, then it just wasn't going to get done. So the one thing that I really, really, really wanted to do with this room that I did not do um, is completely float the ceiling from the floor above me. Um, now, I, this is my house, so it's not a situation where I'm in like an apartment or anything like that and I'm worried about neighbors, but I have kids and dogs, and it's crazy because you can be blasting the TV and the sub and everything upstairs – and you won't hear it in here, which was my concern was not keeping sound in here from getting out there. My concern is keeping sound from out there from getting in here um, because this is where I'm recording and I pay the bills. They can deal with the noise. <laughs> you know, um, So you can be blasting the TV upstairs and you won't hear anything down here. They can be talking. They can be yelling. You won't hear it down here. However, the dog's claws on the floor will transfer through the beams and that's what Great. i wanted to float now i put some cushioning in there to try to float it a little bit but i i just didn't have the time uh, time or money at the point to completely float it the way that i wanted to um and it's possible in, in a couple years i may even address it again by doing um like sectional panels that are that are floated um but I also think that I'm going to wait because I'm doing clouds above me. And those cloud absorbers, I think, are going to help a lot with that as well. So I'm, I'm reading some of the comments here. Uh, well, one of the points I just threw up here is that, you know, uh, some people don't even think about this stuff too much just because they like for critical listening to use headphones. And I, I guess I could respect that. I probably fall in that category when I really want to be able to hear something. I throw my headphones on and kind of you know, get a little critical about it. But then too, I do a lot of driving. So I'm also paying attention to how things translate <laughs> in, the, in the ride too. Uh, I, I just get that from being around older cats in the studio back in the day, that that's one of the things they did. Or even they would have a boom box in the studio to kind of see how things translate uh, and that kind of thing too. So, um, but yeah, I guess it's to each his own. Some of us have better situations than others and, um, some of us, some things are more important for some reason. I mean, you got cats that do stuff in, at home in the studio and it doesn't matter because maybe they're mixing at a better place. So maybe they're sending things out to be mixed at a, at a place that is acoustically treated and that sort of thing. So, yeah. 
Don't yeah, and, and why not says test. the car test and and <laughs> I'm I'm a you know, I used to do every every single mix I would have it play back on probably like six six or seven different devices, you know, cuz I would also say don't trust just one car. <laughs> Because that that can lie to you too, especially if that car has a sub in it, you know, and, and a system in it. But you know, and and don't discount. Honestly, like w- one thing that I kind of hate to admit, but I do it all the time now is when I'm working on stuff, dude. I play through the iPhone speaker mm-hmm. without headphones, without anything, because a lot of the times I'm like, yo, people are gonna listen to this through a crappy iPhone speaker at some point, and can you at least hear some of the kick? Like make it so that I can at least, because a lot of the times it's like, dude, you can't, you can't get any of that. Like, you know, and if you don't hear any of the kick at all on that thing, then that's, that, that's kind of a red flag for me. I'm like, Oh, I need to, I need to make it so that you can hear at least some of it. And then, yeah, you're not going to get those subs or anything, but I want you to get like that top end of the kick and whatnot to, to cut through. So, you know, little, little things like that. I'm constantly trying to, I'm trying to think about like what's the what's the situation where the guy's going to say something stupid about my about my mix and then yeah, mix so. and mix for a little bit for that not a lot for that it's like uh, race it's car drivers say so you have a good balance between all those different sort of mediums yeah man yeah I'm just kind of you know you want to uh, what is it that they say they they say set the car up for the straights not not the uh, not the five percent you know curves. You, like you want to, you want to really like. Overall, you want your mix to be great on a great system, mm-hmm. but you still want to have, you know, in those instances, you still want it to be able to sound at least a little bit okay on that stuff. You know. Yeah. So you know, I, I'll tell you, I want to, I want to address this Masada point or this Masada question, but first, I want to say, um, Upright came through one New Year's Eve, and he was like, "Yo." Ain't no treatment in here. How you make stuff sound as good as you make it sound? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, I just know my room. So I do think it's something to that. Corey, being able to Corey really- it's called luck. <laughs> I don't know. Consistently? <laughs> yes, it's consistent luck. Consistent Come on. Luck. Well, I guess that works too. I've seen your family, man. You got it lucky. You're all right. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the thing about that is I think what kind of did it for me too is when you go out and you play out with the stuff that you created in – your your lab like um i remember me and shiro went and played a show at um what the hell was the name of the place anyway we opened for j electronica electronica but i can't remember the name of the place right now because i'm old and sleepy but um yo the joints sounded so crazy in that club yo <laughs> the joints was so crazy in that club. The translation was magnificent, and that was a, a bit of an eye opener. So I, I almost think in the back of my mind, low key of kind of like, well, shit, it sounded okay in this place, in that place, in this place. I'm cool for now, and that's contributes yeah. to my laziness of going and doing the the act of you know putting up acoustic treatment and doing all that kind of stuff. And if something's working for you, it's working for you. It, there is it works, that. You right? know what I mean? Um, I will say I I find it kind of tongue in cheek funny. Like a lot of the times, you'll look at pictures of different producers' studios, like their home setups, and like there's rarely acoustic treatment up, and there's mm-hmm. rarely. Um, and, and I'm talking like you know, 
hit makers and what hit makers, you right? Know? Yeah. And a lot of the times, a lot of the times, really, if you especially if you look at a lot of the like legends setups, mm -hmm. it's like pretty garbage setups, like pretty garbage gear, pretty like you know, it's just you know, old stuff that's not that wasn't even great at the time, yet they mm -hmm. still have it. It's because it, people get comfortable and know what they know, and yeah. that's fine. Like there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. If what you are creating is working for you, then that's great. Yep. But, but if you can, you know, if you have the ability to improve your situation, by all means, improve your situation. You know, it all, it, it depends on the kind of person you are too. Like some mm -hmm. people just don't want anything to do with the technical side of anything. Yeah, yeah. They, they oh, no. just want to do what they do and that's fine and then leave it all up to the engineer and you know that's hey mm -hmm. if you have the ability to do that then that's cool for you too and as long as he's getting paid then everybody's Go happy so yo uh masada asked and masada made a good point if it's working for you don't change nothing my man um the other thing is he asked how you like those gen fours you like them better than the old krks so uh I got to tell you, I got some Adams and I got these Gen 4s. Ken has them, too. Uh, we haven't really talked about them too much, but I can tell you the older Gen 4s, I think, are amazing beat maker, really see my other monitors back there. beat maker DJ monitors, quite frankly, the, the older uh, um, uh, KRKs, uh, Gen 3s, I think they were, uh, had the six inch ones, the sixes. And I think they're real dope, like Beatmaker. But what the reason I say is like Beatmaker DJ monitors is because I would not make critical listening decisions based on that model of KRK. Doesn't mean it's trash. It just means that like turn it up, bang it out, and that's what it's about. My Adams, I would make more critical listening. Now, mind you, they they're all monitors of a certain uh, price tag, right? So it's not like you know, you can go out and get some more expensive or some more whatever in a different price category. You might find a whole different thing. But these KRKs, I think, took the level up a bit where it wasn't just about uh, accentuated bass and accentuated frequencies where you actually, I feel like you can make better decisions on it. There, there was a better clarity on these than there are on the previous generations. Um would I still use them? Uh, would I try to use them in a mix? Maybe not. I really have only these up here right now because I'm overdue to do the review. <laughs> and I was going to, uh, fortunately, my Apollo 8 allows me two monitoring channels. And so um, I'm going to have my my Adams back up here at some point. And, um, but yeah. Uh, I think these are really dope. This is the first time I've had one of these. I think these are the eights. The first time I've had monitors these big, this big. But I think they're pretty dope. They've improved. Then they have that Kevlar uh, uh, material for the woofer and I think part of the tweeter as well. I think they sound a lot better than the previous generation, but I still think that they kind of toe the line. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's it. Exactly what you said. I use these joints to blast and turn it up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that, that's what they're really great for. You know what I mean? But if you want to make critical listening decisions, you probably should have some other way to do that. Ken, you muted. All right. So I there stayed you know. clear of the KRKs like they were the plague 
for a long time because I've had so many friends who had them and I always hated them. Um, I was not a fan. Uh, I steered clear of those things and, and I'll also say I kept an open mind. Like it's not like just a general bias. I don't, I really don't keep biases on any gear. Like I don't care about brand. I don't care about any of that stuff. Generally speaking, I mean, I'd probably never buy a Gemini or Newmark mixer ever again, but that's because I went through like six of them. <laughs> but, um, yeah, those things are not meant for scratching. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, I would, I, I, okay, look, everybody that I knew had KRKs. They were in every that's studio. That's you could think of. Those rockets, far. the rockets yeah. were everywhere. The V4s and, and, and you know, the V series. Less people had them, but they were still around a lot. The V ones I liked a whole lot more, to be honest with you, than than the regular rockets. Um, that all being said, um, when I got a chance to to try these out, I was very skeptical, but I kept an open mind. I will say that I have, you know, three other pairs of monitors in here. And I was like, okay, well, do I go back to my other monitors or not? And I decided against it. I decided to keep these up because I actually found that I liked them. I enjoyed them. They worked well with my ears. Um, they are not hyped in the low end like the old ones were at all. And you can, like, with the EQ on the back, you can really kind of tailor it in to be correct for your room, which is nice. It's not like an automated process like uh, like certain other ones like KRK, uh, not KRK, uh, JBL has a great uh, room correction algorithm that you can automatically set up your room with a couple of mics in there and it'll, it, like your monitors will calibrate to your room. Those work really, really nicely. Um, and I love the JBLs. Like I've got a pair of JBLs and I love them. That being said, I stuck with these because uh, I paired these with the, with the JBL 10-inch sub, and it sounds so damn good. Mm-hmm. Um, there are very mild things in the high end that I'm like, uh, the clarity could be just a little bit more there, but it's not bad by any means. Um, and for the price point, it's it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I found myself like just very happy with these ones and I was super skeptical, super skeptical. So you know what I I found is that the, the previous KRKs bang, but they were the mid range was the muddiest thing I I ever heard in a monitor. They cleaned it up a little bit with with those. um, What was the other one? I want to say they were like M audio BX series or something like that. Those Mm. ones are garbage but <laughs> but they bang in the low end like yeah. they, they would they would push out a lot of sound but man they were muddy as hell yeah um that, that's where the the discrepancy is and that's also why i would have my atoms because i could trust those and a lot of people i remember when when i got my first pair of atoms uh, a lot of people were like yo you're gonna get atoms you need a sub because ain't no base but what i found is that i could make good decisions with atoms because I could actually hear everything that was going on. Um, and, you know, I got used to the way they sound. So I knew, you know, kind of what they sounded like, the, the way I wanted them to bang in the car test. You know what I'm saying? Or if I'm playing out, I knew kind of what the atoms were telling me, mm-hmm. that how it would translate. I had a good perspective on that. 
Um, then, then it was a whole different thing when I got KRKs and kind of then I used them as A and B so I could see how mm-hmm. it sounds just banging out something and then make some critical decisions to see how it sounds banging out something. It, it kind of worked to have that balance to have both of them for me. Well, I, I'll say this. The, um, the ability of having like two sets of monitors in your setup is nice and being able to mix in mono is also another big one. Like it's, it's, it's big to push it into mono and see how things work. Um, but in, in my, like I, I was showing earlier, I was sharing the screen. I did a review on those KRKs and I, I meant no words. Like I, I'd say all that same stuff in there. Like just that I was, you know, I was skeptical of it, but I find them working really well for what I'm doing. Also, I would be very clear about something. I don't do mastering and I'm not doing, you know, insane mixing. Like it's yeah. sound design work. So, um, you know, I'm very clear about that sort of thing. And I'm also very clear about the fact that um, everybody has a different hearing curve and what works for you might not work for me. What works for me might not work for someone else. Um, and I, I think people really do themselves harm when they they go into forums and they're like oh what's the best monitor and then they just buy it blind and then that's that like they don't like you can get those monitors in try them in your home for a while and then if you don't like them or or even if you're just curious maybe send them back try out another pair of monitors and then decide between the two which worked best or get if you can get multiple monitors in and try them it's especially best to do it in your space not like in a storeroom because that's not your space. Like, you know, the reflections and everything in your wall, you're muted, dude. Um, but- oh yeah. It's a, the thing about it not being in your space. You're listening to, it's almost like if you ever went to a jewelry store, they'd be like, yo, that this, whatever it is, watch ring necklace, whatever that stuff looks incredible in the jewelry store. Cause they got the lights and the mirrors and <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everything's freshly shined, but you get it outside of the jewelry store. You can really see what you got going on. And Ben, ben in here, Benjamin Izzo in here saying, sorry, Adams have a dip in the mids uh, from the crossover. And to me, that was part of why I didn't go with Adams early on because I, I, demoed a bunch of different monitors before not these ones but the monitors i had before that um and i was looking really hard at the atoms primarily because a lot of the companies that i work with use atoms in their offices so native instruments is using them in their offices i believe Mm -hmm. ableton is uh like i think output is also like a lot of these companies are all using atoms now like they're becoming um, just like the KRKs were everywhere, just like the NS10s were everywhere, you're starting to see Atoms everywhere. They've got a huge presence. Um, and I, man, I demoed the crap out of those Atoms. Like, man, this is this is probably where I should be. I was not a fan. Like, they were extremely harsh to my ears. I could not stand them. Um, they They just didn't work for me. And that's not saying that they're bad monitors. That's saying mm-hmm. it was a personal selection where... And for me, it just didn't match up with my hearing curve. Like it just to me, they felt very harsh, um, and and I couldn't see myself mixing on them for long periods of time. Uh, of so I had to move on to a different brand. But you know, somebody else might use them and be like, "These are the best things since sliced bread," and that's fine because guess what? Their hearing might be slightly different than yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. So, yo, we've been at it for about an hour and a half. I do appreciate everybody that's been on. Um, and uh, a lot of good interaction and stuff. It was a good conversation, Mr. Ken. Yeah, man, it was it was a good time. Good time.
indeed so yo we'll be back at it next episode and thanks for joining us make sure to follow follow uh and subscribe to both channels flux with it and uh b-boy tech report and yeah we'll see you next go round peace